This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. The title of today's podcast is called Helping Middle-Aged White People Understand Systemic Racism. This is part two in which I look at white guilt, shame, and the history of America. Let's start by defining our terms. Racism is that which serves to disadvantage and restrict people of color in ways that advance the interests of those in power, who, by the way, are overwhelmingly white males. It is systemic. This means that it's all over the place, not in just a few places. It's not just a few bad apples. It is an infestation of our various social systems, such that it affects the whole system. It's like a bit of poison in the water tank. A bit of it infects the whole, and the whole is affected by the bit. It has become so normalized that we often don't even see it. But make no mistake about it, there is a bit of poison in the water tank. Now, the recent outbreak of racist acts is a result of the ugly stain of racism that has always festered like a virus in our God bless America society. Racism was a part of the fabric of this Make America Great Nation long before Washington crossed the Delaware. Slavery was the economic engine upon which this one nation under God was built. It was slavery that was used to pull the wealth from this land so that white people could live in big houses and drink lemonade out on the veranda while wearing hooped skirts. Now, racism comes in a variety of forms and flavors. For example, on the 4th of July, when people are all busy loving America, they often forget this silly little thing called manifest destiny. In the 19th century, this wacky, nutty, zany idea was used as an excuse to decimate indigenous peoples and confiscate their lands. White males, in meetings with other white males, convinced themselves that there was something very uniquely special about white males and the institutions that they designed. So they decided that God wanted them to rape, pillage, murder, and commit genocide so that the continent could be theirs and everyone would be just like them and everyone would have freedom and independence except for black people and indigenous people and people from China and women and gay people. And I don't think they cared much for Latinx people either. But everyone else was definitely in the special club. God bless America. In the book, An Indigenous People's History of the United States, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz says that the very existence of our country is dependent on the looting of an entire continent and its resources. Colonization, dispossession, settler colonialism, genocide. These are the terms that drill to the core of U.S. history, to the very source of this country's existence. And these same very special white men who are out there manifesting their destiny all over the place had the audacity to call indigenous people savages. Savages. Now, a savage is defined as a brutal or cruel person or people who are uncivilized 
or primitive. So to be clear, the people who are raping, pillaging, murdering, stealing, and committing genocide call the people who are not doing these things savages. Hmm, hmm, how does that work? Now let's take a look at white guilt and shame and honesty. It must be acknowledged up front, the disclaimer that I am a white man. My whiteness is all that I have ever lived and experienced. As such, I can never fully understand what it means to be a person of color living in our society. But I, like others, I am trying to get my small piece of this right. And while I should never lead the conversation or appropriate the discussion, we all need to be a part of this discussion. Now let's take a look at personal guilt and shame. On a personal level, to be honest, I feel no guilt or shame for the systemic racism in our country. I feel no guilt or shame also for feeling no guilt or shame. Now let me explain before you send me a bunch of emails. Guilt involves being aware of our wrongful or improper deeds or behaviors and how they may have hurt others. It's a feeling of responsibility for some action, real or imagined, or an awareness that we've done something improper or wrong. Shame may arise from guilt, but technically it's a bit different. Shame is related to how we appear to ourselves or others. It's a painful feeling forming in our consciousness, stemming from something dishonorable, improper, lacking, deficient, or deviant that was done or with which we are associated. Shame is not always related to an action. It can also be related to a condition, such as perceived physical or mental disorders or disability. Shame often occurs as a result of guilt, but not always. Indeed, there are people who appear to feel no shame, even though they're fully aware of the wrongful or improper action. These people are called psychopaths. According to the DSM-5, they have an antisocial personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder. Now let's take a look at psychopathic history of the United States of America. As stated above, a psychopath feels no sense of guilt, shame, or remorse. Thus, we must conclude that the writers of U.S. history, for the most part, are either willfully ignorant or psychopaths. Let's now, let's, for now, let's go with psychopaths as this seems a bit more complimentary. I would recommend three powerful and well-written books. An African-American and Latinx History of the United States by Paul Ortiz, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson, and An Indigenous People's History of the United States. I already talked about this by Roxanne Dunbar Bar Ortiz. These are just three of the many books and other resources that provide a view of U.S. history that's a bit different from the whitewashed McGraw-Hill version of reality. The McGraw-Hill version of reality seems to prance lightly upon the slavery and exploitation of human beings at the beginning of our land of the free country. 
The McGraw-Hill version of reality also seems to dismiss the Holocaust on this continent that consumed millions of indigenous peoples. Oops. So while I appreciate and I'm grateful for many aspects of our country, and I am generally proud of our system of democracy and the freedom it allows, I also recognize our racist U.S. history and the systemic racism that lingers. For this, I feel a collective guilt and shame for our nation. As stated above, on a personal level, I feel no guilt. I'm not trying to perpetuate a wrong. I'm trying to do what I can. To be honest, neither do I feel shame on a personal level. However, I do feel anger, disgust, and dismay at the injustice, inequalities, inequities, discriminations, and atrocities that continue as a result of systemic racism. For this, I am deeply ashamed for our country. Now, when I make a statement about collective guilt and shame of our nation, I hear things like, if you're ashamed of our country, why don't you leave? If you hate our country, go someplace else. These kind of comments usually come from people who see themselves as patriotic because they wave flags and stand at attention during the national anthem. However, this, why don't you leave if you don't like it response is the most unpatriotic response imaginable. An analogy, if you love your family, you don't leave it if you recognize that there are difficulties. You stay and try to make it better. If you love your family, you don't ignore or gloss over problems as they arise. You acknowledge them and you work to solve them. In the same way, if you love your country, you recognize the difficulties. If you love your country, you stay and try to make it better. If you love your country, you try to solve the problems, one of which is systemic racism that's eating away at us. An honest, reflective analysis does not make one unpatriotic. What would be unpatriotic would be to turn the other way, to do nothing, to simply wave a bunch of flags and sing God bless America. That would be unpatriotic. And I and many others refuse to be unpatriotic. This idea that if you seek change that you hate America is decidedly un-American. And I refuse to be un-American. This American experiment will continue to evolve and refine itself only to the degree that we are able to honestly reflect and address the problems that confront us. Systemic racism is one of them. Systemic racism has never been fully addressed in our society, our culture, or our educational systems. Simply including George Washington Carver in a social studies lesson just won't do it this time around. We need more than that. Systemic racism calls for a systemic response. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.